and we are back, people. Thank you once again for tuning in to another episode of the Rags to Richards podcast. I'm going to keep the theme going this week, and that theme is staying in India. Um, Because there are so, 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 so many good people to speak to in India who um, really do have an inspiring journey to tell. Um, And again, this this person, kind of carrying on from last week, um, kind of same theme. Um, an entrepreneur. Um, this guy is a again a very a, a young guy. He's 26 years old. Um, a neuroeconomist, a computer scientist, a blockchain pioneer, an aspiring oncologist. The list goes on. He's actually even a uh, number one best-selling author, um, Bloomsbury, for his book Pajama Profit. Um, yeah, raised also yeah raised venture capital at the age of 20. Again, I said the list goes on, and I kept the list going, didn't I? Um, but yeah, that person, his name is Varun Meyer, and he has a very unique story to tell. Um, and because he's young, I, I kind of hope this episode really um, inspires or opens the young people's eyes to what they um, have available at their fingertips. Um, so if you are kind of, if you listen and you um, you already know Varen and um, something, or he does something, or is educating something that maybe you want to understand and learn. I think you might get something out of this episode, as he really has um, unique uh, views on what he does. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. Without further ado, Mr. Varen Maya, are you there, my friend? Yes, I am. I know I'm 15 minutes late, <laughs> but I'm here. Hey, I think, um, don't take this offensively, but uh, I'm quite used to that now, living in India, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have a penchant for doing this. Yeah, I, I kind of assumed you might be a bit different now. I don't know why I got that impression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, must be Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, let's get straight into this, my friend. Like. I really want to understand your journey, kind of from start to finish. Now, I bet you could go on for hours and hours, um, but I've been reading a bit about your... I want to read your book, actually, myself, but I've been reading about it, and it, you, kind of, you've got your whole story from kind of how you started at the age of 11, right? Mm-hmm. Up till, the, uh, I guess, the present day. So. What I want to know is, like, how did this start? Was the, was the writing of a book ever something you imagined doing? Well, um, you know, I call it funny, but when I was like six or seven years old, I just, I wanted to be a superhero. And then at the age of 11, my parents told me that's not possible. <laughs> and I just stared at my, like, my mom and I was like, what do you mean it's not possible? And I said, you can't be a superhero. Like, that's, that's, this, just, that's just stuff you'd see on TV or read about. I was like, no, I want to be a superhero. Yeah, I've been told you can be a superhero. <laughs> um, but then my parents did the second best thing, which is they gave me a computer, they gave me dial-up internet, and they left me alone. Mm. <laughs> so, That's amazing uh, at that age. So at, at 11, I, you know, call me a nerd, but I started learning how to write code. At the age of 13, um, started a YouTube channel uh, way before YouTube was popular. And I was, I was playing a game at that point called Dota. And uh, I used to make compilations of other people like screwing up we used to call uh, 
I think the name of the title was Rise of the Noobs. This was a long, long, long oh. time ago. So that's where you know I didn't really do it with any commercial intent. I just wanted to have fun, put put stuff out there, and you know I didn't revisit any of this till the age of sixteen, where my parents were just like, "Okay, Varun, now you need to go do an IIT, right? You need to go do an engineering, like a serious engineering college, and then you need to go to go do a masters." And um, you know this this was the other way around because I never really thought that. there was so much pressure that parents could put on a child and, and at that point you know I was there and I saw all of this pressure and I went into the IIT exams and I've said this many times you know I just I didn't even know why I was there and I know today almost 10 years later that this is something that almost every indian kid feels right and I didn't I didn't know it at that point and you know I I I didn't get through the IITs I went and studied at Manipal Institute of Technology studied computer science You know, I've said this before to you, Richard. I always, you know, my parents spent on my education, but I, my parents spent on my schooling, but I spent on my education. So, learned a lot of stuff online. Started with Photoshop. Then I wanted to build, you know, this, um, this website where people can make their own computers. Uh, you know, build a PC kind of website. It was called Make My PC, and nobody would build it for me. I was surrounded by apparent computer science engineers, but not one of them could build an app. So I said. Screw this! I'm going to do it myself. I learned how to write uh, Ruby on Rails, which is this you know funky coding coding language. It's much easier than all the other coding languages to learn. Learned that by myself, um, and then you know over the next few years, did everything from selling T-shirts to doing online web development. And then you know at the end of I think third year of college, we were billing $150 an hour working online with some of the best clients across the world. And at that point, I said, you know, I want startup risk. This is great doing this this stuff solo. You know, even though we were a team, we would it was a loose team. Like people would work on projects by themselves. And I was like, I want like to run a proper team. I want that risk that you know that the chance of sudden death. That's when we started Jobspire, which was a recruitment platform. Um, as history would have it, we became one of the youngest entrepreneurs to have raised VC capital in India. We raised 1.7 crores at that point. Uh, ran that company for uh, three years. Worked with 1,500 recruiters, including the likes of Uber and Swiggy. Over two hundred thousand applicants, so four million requests. You know, I can go on and on about it, but one day I just woke up feeling stupid because yeah. I said, because I said to myself, you know, I think I can do a lot. Why the hell have I built, you know, a simple recruiting platform? It's just people come and apply for jobs, get a job, move on. Nothing special about it. I'm not not really helping people, right? People maximum spend one or two days on my platform. So I said I want to be integral to what people do. And early two thousand seventeen. You know, we sold that company off to a New York-based company called Turn to Tech. Um, my co-founders went to New York for a few uh, months to kind of finish off their investing periods there, and I started Avalon. And with Avalon, it was a completely different approach to business. Right? I wanted to run business like a mom, mom and pop store. A mom and pop store is, in my opinion, the best way to run a business, which is you have this small store and you're always thinking about how do you make more money, right? How do you improve the customer experience to to anybody who comes to my store, right? So. Basic. It was, I, you know, with Jobspire, I was always working for my investors in my head. And I was always like, okay, I'm, I'm building this company for somebody else. But here with Avalon, I was building a company for myself. And you know, as luck would have it, we, we started a services wing, which, which worked with companies across the world, doing what we did in our previous companies: growth, product, marketing. We build the technology if necessary. We'd help them do Instagram. We'd help them do emails, whatever is necessary, right? And we take the money from there and then put it in the investments wing. Where we'd invest all across the world, 
and we have six investments now one of them in fact is an atlanta based company uh the the founders are ex mongodb which is a public company so so we've gotten our hands dirty and it's run like a mom and pop store we do what interests us right me and my co-founder shashank we we really do the stuff that we like and you know i'm still learning about the world i think you know in the future i want to do a, a lot of things right but right now i think we're focused on improving education in india because like i said before i'm i'm the product of a very flawed education system and that's because i took a u turn somewhere in the middle and i want to give more people the opportunity to take that u turn so that's what i'm focused on and yeah the book just happened to be me documenting everything that i've run my mouth about in the last 5 minutes and i was i was <laughs> so just like you covered the book pretty much so yeah i mean that should make people that even makes me want to go out and buy it man it sounds it's an incredible journey and i think we got to remind people listening that i think you're you said to me just before this call you know you you're quite aware that you've failed so many times um along that journey that you've just explained but still um you're 26 years old at the end of the day and you know that these these failures are still going to happen and you've still got lots of learning to go um now i want to steer this conversation a bit in terms of like uh let's just say the 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 youth of india are listening to this because i think you've got quite a unique um voice here someone who's done it um who's kind of gone a different way or at least approach things in a different way um and has views of how things could change maybe or how you could um help uh, the youth coming in in the same kind of direction as you so I said this to Patik on the other podcast. I, I I just said to him, look, hypothesize. You could look back at the seventeen-year-old you. Is there anything you would say? Is there anything you would have done differently? Got it. See, anything I would have said to my seventeen-year-old self would have changed my career path, right? Because here, here's this. I mean, I just read a tweet from Paul Graham like very recently. All ambitious people. including you richard or or anybody who who wants to create something out there when you're in your early 20s and i'm talking about 17 18 19 20 like just before 20 and just you know 21 22s we have a super high ratio of arrogance to ability right ambitious people in general are more arrogant and they also have a decent amount of ability but by the time they get older and i'm talking about 25 26 the ability goes up because you're weathered by the system right you learn a lot more you have to execute and at the same time your arrogance goes down because you realize your ideas and everything you create is not as infallible as you think it is yeah. you might have a really good idea and you might go out there and do it and the market might not respond at all yeah. right so what i've i mean that that's kind of happened to me right at 20 i wouldn't take like if you gave me advice or if i gave myself advice i'd be like go home i don't want to listen to you yeah. right but um and i feel in in ways i'm still like that but you know the 20 year old me would not listen and i think that's an advantage right even though it sounds a little bit arrogant i it's it's a coping mechanism as a founder as somebody who's creating something a lot of people are going to give you shit when you begin right but i create a coping mechanism where i'm not going to listen right and now at the age of 24 25 even though i'm i want to tell my earlier self that hey you should have listened yeah. i still feel like it was better off that i didn't listen and you know the failures that i've been through i think there's no better teacher than than screwing up yeah this is true it's very good that you said that i mean that's kind of what pratik said as well um but okay let's try and do, let's just flip it a tiny bit then 
Um, and let's say you're speaking to the younger generation um, in the education system in India. Mm-hmm. What would you say to these these kids who are kind of wanting to go down a similar path to you? I mean, it doesn't have to be in the same kind of area. It can be in any area they want. But what would you say to them? Well, I think the first thing to do is to um, break this stereotype or this understanding that education is this one, you know, four-year block of your life or two-year block of your life where you just do it and then suddenly you have magical powers. Right? Contrary to popular belief, you're doing an MBA or you're doing, you know, a, a quality degree doesn't change your life in immeasurable ways, right? You And once you stop thinking like that, once you realize that the idea, okay, so let's go back, let's do a little bit of history, right? The first few education systems came out in the world around 300, 400 years ago. I think 1600s was when uh, Oxford came out, like the first Oxfords came out. And what it was, was a bunch of really old people, people who had traveled the world, they'd studied everything from say, um, uh, plants to commerce, right? And then they traveled the world, they didn't have internet at that point. And they had to disseminate this information. So what they what they would do is they'd write the book, they'd write a book about everything they'd learned, they'd bring it back to a university, and they'd continue on with their second lease of life as teachers. Because see, look, even back then, the monetary system was still around. You still had to make money, right? So these people, the first 30 of their years of their life, think about somebody like Charles Darwin. 30 of his years of his life, he traveled the seas, going to different islands. He, came, he, he comes back, and then the next 10, 15 years, he just teaches about what he's learned. And that's why most professors in the world are older people because they can't, they're not practicing anymore. And this happened in the 1600s, it happened in the 1700s, it happened in the 1800s. So in the 1800s and the 1800s, on the 1900s, it was a brilliant idea to go to college because all the smartest guys in the world who had real world, real life experience came to one place and that was college. Right? And you, and they found a way to institutionalize the entire process. You do year one, you learn this. Year two, you learn the basics from these five explorers. Year three, you learn the basics from these 10 explorers, right? And by year four, you've learned all of their combined cumulative experiences. And now you're ready to go out to sea and, you know, be an explorer. Yeah. But that changed when the internet came out. When the internet came out, somebody like Charles Darwin, who would say, travel 30 years at sea. Now he can just open like Skype or, or a video podcast and just say, guys, by the way, I learned that turtles, you know, live for 150 years right and this is me Charles Darwin yeah. and and to be honest people like Charles Darwin all the top guys in business in entrepreneurship in marketing in sales even in, in genetics are now sitting online disseminating information from the comfort of their homes right but the idea of you going to college is still stuck in certain people's heads the yeah. pre-internet you know, I, I like to call them Luddites, but because they don't understand the value of technology. But the, for them, it has now become a status game to have like a Harvard degree or to have a degree from a certain place. But the goal was always to learn from older people who had created, you know, something interesting. So step one advice for like super young people is this idea of what it is like to have an education is not a four-year block. It's a continuous lifelong thing. And you going to place A or place B is not going to make you suddenly, you know, it's not going to make you superhuman. You have to change the attitude you have towards learning things and you have to execute by yourself. You have to put your hands out there and get dirty, right? And the only way you're going to do it is by being a Charles Darwin yourself. Be an explorer, right? And carry your phone with you to learn stuff from other explorers. Very interesting. But 
I agree totally. But what would you say to the kids, right? Um, you said you were kind of in this position yourself, who are maybe forced into, or really pressured anyway, into this kind of education. And their instinct tells them that's not really what they want to do. Because mm -hmm. this is quite, uh, I, I guess I said this to Patik also, that I, f I feel this is quite, I, and I've been in India six years now, and I just get this general feeling from speaking to people that this is a lot more pressurized than it is, you know, in the Western world. That maybe I only know the UK, but I think there's a definite difference there. Well, I think it's it's about dialogue and evidence, right? Because who's the decision maker in your child's life right now? It's it's most likely the parents, right? So what you need to do as as somebody who's 19 who wants to say pursue, um, say dance, or you want to pursue theater, or you want to pursue video content vis-a-vis -vis, you know doing business analytics what would you do how would you how would you structure your conversation with your parents what you do what you'd have to do is sit down with them and tell them look here's i think video content is the future here's data here's data piece once one here's some more evidence here's even more evidence i'm presenting this to you right now you help me take a decision to to make me to prep me for a world in 2029 instead of in 2019 yeah Right, and and you need to have that ability to have dialogue with your with your parents. And if your parents don't understand, get get them as much evidence as possible. You, I mean, it's your life at the end of the day, and your parents also want the best for you, right? Unfortunately, they don't know what's the best for you, which is why people like you, people like you know everybody else who's working on education or, or building this awareness, I think they're all super critical because we become case studies, right? Yeah. People go to their parents and say, look, Varun did this, Varun did this, and he's saying this. This is evidence point one. Richard did this, Richard did this, and this is his evidence. Here's the third person's evidence. Here's evidence from Facebook itself that video is going to dominate everything, right? So that's what you need to be doing. But most kids are just, they're they are confused and they're not taking action. And I think the worst place to be is to be confused and not take action, and not have dialogue. People want to help, but you need to open your mouth. Yeah, this is true. I mean, I, I think from what I got from listening to you though is, um, you started out on this journey around 11 years old to 13 years old um, and and you you know when you wanted to make the app and no one around you could you took matters into your own hands and I really feel that to the younger people listening that is something that you have the ability to do at all times you know even if you are in a situation with your family where it's quite pressured and let's just say you don't really have an option you you're being kind of forced to go into this university or do a degree you still have the options to learn these things in your own time right exactly and it's not rocket science like i i don't understand why people come out and say doing a podcast is really hard or doing or writing code is really hard it's not rocket science right it's about three or six months of effort and it takes this it just takes a little bit of commitment it takes takes consistency like you you make sure you do one you make sure you reach out to people like me or Pratik or whoever you spend that time and effort can you believe that 99% of India does not want to spend that time and effort reaching out to somebody they want to do a podcast with it sounds yeah. so so simple and easy but people are just lazy right yeah. and if, if you're lazy nobody can help you but the advantage is if you're listening to this podcast whoever you are you're probably not lazy or, or even if you are lazy you you've spent you've made a micro commitment and you know i've been studying a little neuroscience and the more micro commitments you make the more podcasts you listen to the more you put yourself out there the more the higher the probability you will pick up on one of these opportunities yeah. right so 
step one is listening to podcasts like this understanding what's available and then you're right taking matters into your own hands and that's something that eventually if enough of us speak about it people are going to start doing it yeah this is true and um ca- can we just speak about uh what you uh you know when uh, i think we said this just before the podcast started i think was it up work you said you were doing mm-hmm. you did some you, you basically you said that you did some work on up work for i'm just going to remember this i think you said 100 for 3 months or a 1 month was it was it's over 3 months so my yeah, first project on on odesk at that point was called odesk today it's called up work It was for a Malaysian eye clinic, a hundred dollars over three months. The most taxing project I ever did. It was something I didn't know how to do. It was a WordPress site or something, and I just said yes, and I and I figured things out on the way. And my pitch was very simple. It's in it's in my book. My pitch was very very simple. But it's my first project, right? So I said, dude, I don't know how to do this. Um, I have a little bit of experience with WordPress, but I'm willing to give it a shot. That was my pitch, and I said, can we just my- explain to people what uh, this website is? Because I want people to understand. um that this is this is out there this is available for people to put themselves out there to the whole world we're not talking like a few people we're talking the whole world is kind of on these websites ready to hire people to do these kind of jobs right mm-hmm. so i think you can look at upwork um you can look at freelancer.com and if you're premium if you're if you think you're really good at what you do check out toptal If you're in India, you can check out Indies. Um, if you want, uh, you know, a loose structure, there's this company called Lazy Eight. So many, many, many different options. But I think best place to start is Upwork. And I think, you know, after we wrote Pajama Profit, there was a huge influx in applicants on Upwork. So, um, you know, we we've been looking at alternatives as well. Maybe, you know, I can send you a few links on the newer freelance platforms. But at the end of the day, freelancing is the is it's like a playground. on going on a platform and you have to start cheap. The advantage with you starting cheap is sometimes it demotivates people. You get a project, you do the entire project for like $25 and I have fans on my Instagram who send me, you know, data saying, you know, Varun, I took up a project that got $25. Right? And it's very easy for me to dismiss it and say, "Hey, that's just $25. It's nothing. You can't live your life on that." And then two days later they send me, you know, another screenshot saying, "Varun, now I'm doing $100." Yeah. Right? And I and I put this up as story somewhere or as one of my posts i want everybody to win and it's possible step 1 would just be go to upwork.com click on create a profile just create a profile don't have to do anything and by the end of the day you'll feel like you've done something because you've created a profile you've got started and it's there it's available it's available for all of us and there are more techniques beyond that you can once you think you can do upwork decently you can start doing cold emails you can start doing cold calls there's a plethora of ways you can find new clients right and that's what pajama profits about right teaching people how to find new clients how to freelance yeah so you you did that did you um right at the start and you did it um you even agreed to do some work without knowing 100% that you could do the project but you were willing to just pretty much learn as you go and uh, that was your first step into the whole freelancing market was it yep it is and you know so you know this is just a thing right even today we take up projects and today we take up projects worth crores where we don't even like we will start doing the project without an idea of whether we can actually complete it uh whether you know we're going to get paid on time it doesn't matter if it's big enough if the client is big enough and we have some fortune five clients now but if the client's big enough even if we're not 100% sure of our capabilities we my team has been trained now to sit down and figure it out And that's what that's what we've kind of gotten good at. I think that's what that's how it should work for everybody. It's a it's a famous Richard Branson quote, I think. 
first you pick up the project and then you figure it out. <laughs> no, it, it's a, it's probably one of his most famous sayings, and something I've always agreed with is that people, lots of people, fail at that stage because they're just too, they're maybe too dismissive of of themselves and their own abilities, and people will, you know, say no to work because they're just apprehensive, whereas. Quite, uh, if you look at some of the mo- more successful people out there, they've often taken on uh, opportunities without even being confident they can do it. 100%. I think every entrepreneur is like that. Like you can't tell whether something will work or not. We just do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. It is scary to begin with, but uh, it's something I really want the younger generation to latch onto. You know, and and you can teach these skills. Like, let's talk about basic skills. You learned, you, you taught yourself coding when you were younger, and we're now in 2019. This is this is very much available right now. And coding might not appeal to everyone, but this is just kind of one example, I'd say, of of skills that you can pick up for free, pretty much online, that you can learn. You can uh, apply yourself for you know six to nine months, even longer. By the time you come out of it, you are ready to take on work from around the world. Of course, and I think you know, sitting in India, one of the biggest advantages you have is price parity, which is even in in the US, the average developer, like fresher developer out of college, is paid anywhere between seventy thousand dollars a year to about two hundred thousand dollars a year, depending on how good you are. In India, even if you're paid say thirty thousand dollars a year, right? You're you're taking on a job in the US, you're doing remote. Being paid less than half of what a fresher is being paid there, you're still making a killing here in India. So you can afford to outcompete people sitting in the US. And the advantage is uh, for you is your rent costs are lower, your costs of food are lower. Whereas in the US, if if you're in San Francisco, your rent itself is like ten thousand dollars a month, right? So they're losing. They're already losing. And yeah, massively. In- and in India, I mean, the the family is such a unit. You know, people uh, like for, let's just see uh, as a comparison. For me, when I was 18, it was kind of like I'm pushed out of the house. You know, get, this is your time to leave the house. In India, it's very much like you've got a home there for a long time. Of course. Right? So you don't have to take that bearing of paying a thousand dollars for one month's rent in London. Yeah, you're, it's 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 an economies of scale, right? But I I have something to say against that as well, which is I think Indian parents can sometimes be very limiting. I think yeah. one of the best things that I've seen a lot of young kids do is move out in India. Because while I understand their cost savings, Indian parents can be very, very taxing. Because look, they have an Instagram of their own, right? Which is WhatsApp. They just want to tell all their friends that my kid is doing this college or my kid, my kid has this job in this tier one company. So you got to bear with that. There's a mental cost to that. Yeah, that is true. Um, but you know, there are people or there are younger kids. Who will be in the position where they they don't ever have that option of moving out? And I just want to show them the ways they can look at that in a positive way. That okay, you're in this position and you're gonna you're going to university. There's not much room for improvement, but there's so many silver linings to that cloud. You know, there are so many things that you can take away from that, and still be positive about your situation. Because I often feel like if you were in on a losing situation with your parents, let's say, and it's quite hard to. Prove to them that going in X direction is going to be the way for you, and you are saying, you know, you want to open dialogue, and that conversation needs to be had. Quite often, I think to myself, well, 
actually proving, like actually showing what you can do um, will make a, a, a larger difference. Do you know what I'm saying? Definitely. I think, again, nothing can't be solved without debate and dialogue. It's always for me, it's like, okay, here's, op- here's the best option, but option two, if you have to live with your parents and then you take advantage of like, the economies of scale. Then you take advantage that your personal burn rate is so low. Like people are so surprised when when they ask me how much does it cost to live your life, and I'm like, dude, I, I can live on like twenty five, thirty thousand rupees if necessary, <laughs> right? A month. And people are like, no, you know, you need at least fifty thousand to live. And I'm like, no, I have a very, very personal burn rate. But obviously, I have the advantage that you know at this point the company pays for my house, it pays for my petrol, stuff like that. Those are advantages that I've built. But if I had to go back, I can totally live on twenty twenty five thousand rupees, even lesser if necessary. I, and I just don't understand how kids right out of college are like, no, I need this much to live. I'm like, no, you don't. That's amazing. That is, it's quite eye-opening, really, to think that. To think that, you know, still in your situation, um, you still have that thought process that that is still something you can do. Um, is that because you, let's say, uh, in the position you're in, you still, uh, do you still remain quite humble in your surroundings and still kind of do you what kind of lifestyle do you do you live then do you give yourself let's say right now well um i think the personal burn rate thing comes less from you know what my surroundings are like like because my surroundings obviously as time has passed um you know it, it has gotten prettier um but i i'd like to say that from a personal burn rate perspective right in my head, I'm still that young kid who's like one one mistake and I lose everything. Yeah. It's still there. Like that fear is still there. Because look, when I was growing up, my parents, I mean, we all we grew up right opposite a slum, right? In in Dharawai in Mumbai. Mm-hmm. And my mom used to always have this deep-seated fear that, you know, I shouldn't bring anybody home because if somebody comes home and they see a slum opposite, what are they gonna think about me? Right? So I come from a very conservative family, right? And even though I've beaten a lot of social conditioning, I also understand that it's so easy to go back there. It's so easy to make a bunch of mistakes. The economy could crash tomorrow and you could always be back at 20,000 or 25,000 rupees monthly salary. It's never going to happen to me at this point. 25,000 is is negligible, but I can live on it. Right? In my head, I'm still that frat boy from college. Uh, frat boy is the wrong word. I guess, you know, the <laughs> kid from college who can, who can live on, you know, two-minute Maggie noodles. Yeah. I'm still that guy and even in college I was like that even when I was making $150 an hour like my life got I mean it didn't change the minute I went to a five-star hotel and, and wrote code there I'd rather write code in my room right so these are all things where if you don't have them you want them but the minute you have them you're like yeah indifference I, w- I couldn't care whether I had I drove a Mercedes today or if I drove an i10 in fact I have both I drive the i10 much much more often than the Mercedes <laughs> That's amazing. So, um, I just want to just go back to the start. Kind of one of the first projects you mentioned was the making T-shirts um, business. Mm-hmm. Um, how old? How old were you again when you can? When that first started? I'm not sure about the exact age, but I think 17 or 18, somewhere between 17 and 19. The reason it's so muddy in my head is because I did a lot of things in parallel. And I think t-shirts, you know, we gave it a shot and we stopped for a bit and then we started again full scale. So I think seriously, I think 17, 18 is when we started doing mass scale t-shirts in Manipal. So how did that start then? How did just that idea start? And how did that, let's go through the process of creating that business and scaling. Got it. So I'll tell you a very interesting story on how it all started. So um, 
Manipal has many different sections. At least the first year, there were sections all the way from A to Z, right? And I was in the O section. And our entire class, you know, we were graduating in the first year. I mean, every year, it's not a graduation, but it's like a mini, you know, send off. Because after the first year, classes change. The first year is like common engineering, right? And in year two onwards, you specialize into computer science or whatever. So in year one, at the end of the year, I told all of my classmates, guys, we should do t-shirts for ourselves, right? And somebody has to take the responsibility. So I will make the t-shirts for you guys. And I'll put this O section in, in front. And in the back, I'm going to put your names on it. Let's have like proper class jerseys, right? Yeah. And that was the idea. I collected money from everybody and we put it all together. And we went out uh, to this manufacturer in Tirupur. I just called him, like we got some numbers from Just Style. We said, we want these t-shirts. We emailed him some designs. And obviously the design was something that we crowdsourced with the class. And um, we gave that order. And two weeks later, you know, I got this big box outside my room and I was super happy. And I was like, yes, you know, we've, we, you know, I can be a businessman. And then I opened that box and all the paint on the back and there are two types of painting, like there are two types of ways you can print t-shirts. Mm. The first one is rubber printing, which is, you know, if you, you have those t-shirts with a little bit of rubber on them, like the print is actually rubber. And the other one is ink printing, where it actually goes, the, 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 the dye actually goes into the fiber. Yeah. And I'd gotten rubber printing done because it was cheaper. It was 10 rupees cheaper than, than ink printing. And I was like, I need to save 10 rupees per t-shirt because I'd be able to make that much more, right? I was being greedy. Mm. And all the rubber was leaking. Literally, I think there were 100 t-shirts in that box, a little lesser. All of them were leaking. Right? And I was sitting there looking at that box and I was like, this is money wasted. Right, so I remember me and my team, uh, there were four of us at that point, we all put money in together to buy the next box. I flew down to Tirupur myself one day before an exam and I, I went and looked at different manufacturers' samples because here we just ordered, right? We expected everyone to be good. So that's when I realized the value of uh, quality. I realized the value of actually seeing things before you buy them, the value of having a good team who'd you know, be able to pitch in if things go badly. The idea that you know everything is standard and you can processize everything is bullshit. There are always, there's, look, dude, entrepreneurship is 99% crisis management. And that was a crisis and I, and I managed that crisis one day before an exam. Put all the, you know, got the t-shirts ordered, went to class, came up with a story, a communication story to my, to the entire class telling them why the order was delayed. So I had to take accountability for that. I had to be like, guys, order's delayed because of XYZ reasons. And obviously I couldn't tell them the print was leaking because they had taken their money. So I said, one more week, guys, it's, there's a delay, but please hang in there. And one week later, the t-shirts came and it was perfect. We made, we didn't make any profit on that because we had put back money. Um, but that was, that was our first success. And now that my t-shirt, my, my class was wearing O section t-shirts, T section came out and they said, Hey, we want t-shirts too. So like, cool, we can do it for you. Right. And we did it for, I think four or five classes. And then we realized it's smartest for us to just make pre-designed t-shirts. Let's just make Manipal centric t-shirts. So we made this one t-shirt with, um, with the ingredients of somebody from Manipal. We actually ripped it, ripped this off from a, from a very famous, um, I think, t-shirt idea called the human engineer or something where it says, oh, an engineer is, you know, 10% mathematics, 20% carbon, whatever, like the ingredients of a human being, yeah. right? And we made that the same thing with Manipal. So we said 10% carbon, 20%, you know, rain, because Manipal is known for rain. We did, we, we made like these generic, but cool t-shirts that people would like to wear. And we just made a simple, you know, desk at the uh, outside the college where people could come at the end of the day and just because there was no e-commerce at that point, right? This was still too new for for anything. Like even Flipkart hadn't started uh, 
cash on delivery at that point right. so small desks we had people coming in every day giving their orders we went you know we sent people to hostel rooms one by one selling we really like we we ran that place the first year right we everywhere you saw us we would be selling t-shirts and that's how we sold 5000 t-shirts because everybody who known of us or seen us we talk about t-shirts we i think we got annoying at some point so you were doing this on campus right yes this was on uh, campus and um so did the did the uh, the campus people the the people in charge try and take money did they did they realize you were making so much profit on this not at all we had zero interference from people on campus they they couldn't care less in fact yeah. you know as as strange as it seems they they had no problems with us doing it in fact i, I remember that they were encouraging entrepreneurs like us um and they said you know you guys go and do stuff i i i don't have i mean i don't really like college or anything but they stayed out of my way they wouldn't have made it wouldn't have made a difference to me but if they had come in my way then i i i know i'm the kind of person who would raise my voice but yeah, yeah no no problems at all that's crazy i i mean generally i would have thought that they would a school would kind of jump in front there at least kind of maybe if not stop it but you know have some say in how what profit goes where um no they don't care that's great so you kind of learned would you say you learned your first kind of business lessons from that whole experience definitely quality having a good team going out and actually seeing the product learning how to you know pacify angry customers everything man <laughs> so why did that let's say why did that finish was it because it wasn't really a huge passion of yours you were just it was kind of just a noble gesture you were doing something for the for the school that well to be honest it was greed at that point because we were making you know i think anywhere between 5 to 10 rupees per t-shirt and we'd occasionally screw up on a t-shirt here and there or screw up in, with a delivery or an order um so it was just it was purely an effort thing right if i put say 5 hours of effort i'd make say 10 into maybe i'd said 5 t-shirts 50 rupees right which is not enough i wanted a way to like exponentially scale the amount of money i was making with less effort from myself so as a function of greed i want to make more money and um and effort i i didn't i want to be a little late. like i i couldn't be talking about t-shirts all the time right i couldn't be selling all the time so i said i need a way to scale this right um and i'll tell you something right greed in my opinion there's it's it's like a hyperbolic it's like a u curve as you start seeing a little bit of entrepreneurial success you become very greedy for the next 2 or 3 years you try to make as much money as possible and then that dips because you realize money is not everything Yeah. right once you have enough to like pay for everything in in your surroundings then you're like okay now now i want to focus on you know helping people or changing lives and stuff like that yeah. so and everybody needs to go through that u curve i see a lot of people who are like oh you know i want to impact a lot of lives without first going through that greed curve without going through that greed curve you will not understand optimization you will not understand how to best use your time and make sure that one hour of your time is worth 10 hours of another person's time or 100 hours of another person's time you that's that's a greed thing Okay, cool. So, um, where did that lead to then? Where the, straight after the whole, um, did straight after the whole T-shirt thing, and that kind of stopped. Where exactly did that go from that point? So, um, where did when, that greed lead to? <laughs> well, that's when that's when I went to Upwork, uh, Odesk at that point. So I was like, okay, I need a way to take the same time that I'm putting in thinking about T-shirt designs and selling, and be able to make more money. and then i realized there's a site called upwork and it's as easy as going to google and seeing i mean at that point i just googled how to make money online <laughs> right and i saw a lot of you know these torrent ad websites 
torrent website ads which like oh you can make money doing clickbait farm whatever and then there was one there that said you know you can try upwork right and i've tried everything else none of them make money affiliate stuff it's all crap right yeah. but then when i did when i started doing uh, upwork that's when i started making real money and if in fact i still have an upwork history somewhere there where you can actually see my first project are $100 the next project going to $500 the next project going to $4000 you can see that entire history and then i got off the platform i only did like 10 15 20 projects on the platform and then i got off of it but it was it was purely i, I want to sit at home and do it man instead of always being outside at the stall selling to people that was very taxing yeah. this for a year But I think a good thing to take away from that, or what I what I see, is that you spoke about affiliate marketing and saying, "Oh, all of that is crap." And actually, when you just applied yourself, and let's say you just simply worked hard yourself, instead of trying to take shortcuts, which kind of affiliate marketing is, you actually did the work yourself. You took on board the skills yourself. You put yourself out there. You did the work for someone else. It's often when people just take that route and take responsibility. That's when that's how success happens, right? Yep, and I, and I think it's also important to try the shortcuts too. Because if I hadn't been through say trialing something like affiliate marketing, I would not know that it doesn't work. I'd always be like, "Oh, maybe I should have tried that." But I tried everything. Trust me, like from an experience perspective, if there's something out there that I could have tried, I would have tried it. And I would have yeah. probably failed at it. Right? And I might not be the best representative to actually talk about something. Maybe affiliate marketing works for a ton of people. I know there's a very famous company in India called Meesho that's that's doing WhatsApp-based affiliate marketing very well. So it's not just because I was a loser at it. It doesn't mean that you'd be a loser at it. But I just found a way to make more money. I'd rather be the Meesho and be that company rather than be an affiliate marketer on that company. So I found a way to make exponential return rather than you know small returns for myself. But worst case scenario, I can always go back to making small-scale returns. Mm. But I had to try. That's what I'm saying. It's it's actually funny you mention that because, well. The whole going down the upwork route is. I met someone today um, who is an unbelievably skilled editor and can do VFX everything. And he showed me some of the work that he'd done, and I was absolutely amazed. I was like, because I, I was paying him for his time. And uh, man, I'd love an intro. <laughs> We're looking for some. Huh? Are you? Yeah. Oh, of damn. Course. I'll uh, I'll well I'll speak to you after. But anyway. I was absolutely amazed with his work. Now, this was work because I've seen a ton of editors and people who do this VFX work as well, mm-hmm. special effects. Um, and it's hard work, man. It takes hours and hours and hours. And I, I was kind of asking him about what he does in his uh, Monday uh, to Friday because he wasn't working today. And he works for a company. And I just said to him, "Okay, that's cool. Do you mind asking me what you get paid?" And I won't tell you. I won't say it on this podcast. But it was. I, I was kind of shocked for, for the level of skill he had. And I just said, I don't understand. Like you, you do put yourself out there a bit because you hire. You let people like me hire you. But why aren't you doing that full time? And it was a bit of apprehension. You know, he didn't want to make that jump. He's he's married. You know, he want he needs to keep that salary, that whole source of income. And I was just burning inside. I wanted to say, "Oh my God, man, you 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 just are worth so much more than that." And I wanted to open his eyes to the the whole kind of upwork scene. You know that if he did make that jump, like it wouldn't take long to really, if he really wanted to, it will happen with, with a click of the 
fingers. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, there's there's actually a solution to this because there's some people obviously who have who are very skilled, and the guys who are skilled they they can't do a good job of selling themselves because it's, obviously it's talent plus uh, sales. But if you know, I really like the Scooter Braun model. Have you heard of Scooter Braun? No, I haven't. No. Scooter Braun is is he's a talent manager. He manages Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber. So Justin Bieber's talent, he'll go sing, but he's not going to go out there and do sales for himself. and i wish that every vfx artist every you know content creator every single person out there who talented creative person out there everybody needs a talent manager somebody like scooter brown who can just make meetings happen whose only job he he can't sing for shit but his only job is to find people who would be able to sing for clients and find the clients on the other hand right that is something that everybody needs so my suggestion to that is to do this pairing system the, the pairing system of a talent uh manager plus the actual talent so somebody like your friend if you're paired with one or other sales guy they'll be making a killing and you know what happens eventually when you do something like that eventually you build a team eventually you find more talent eventually you find more talent managers and then eventually you find that you're avalon so it all starts from there it all starts from his problems <laughs> that's a bit but <laughs> uh, just to let you know i am the talent manager in this case and um he is my client so if you want to speak to him i'll um I'll, you'll have to go through me. If that's okay. Def- definitely, man. I mean, we're looking. We're looking for. Like, I, I think video content is the future. We are looking yeah, for somebody yeah. who can create. I, it's it's less about the VFX, more about direction. Actually, building a brand for this company, which we're trying to do. Mm. I think that that makes all the difference because the bigger our brand grows, the more companies reaching out to us. I want to build something big, man. Yeah, and I, I as you say, video is kind of the future, and everything to do with video, you can. I don't know the way I see it right now is that lots of the younger generation even the really the poor people nowadays have a phone even if it's a more basic phone and these phones have cameras people are connected to the internet people can learn basic editing definitely and 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 canvas free yeah this is true so and that that's what you did right i mean you taught yourself photoshop right at the start definitely it's it's again like i said it's not hard and eventually people are going to figure that out and then <laughs> then your entire system is going to get destroyed <laughs> but um yeah I, i mean listen i think we'll end it there it's been uh, amazing to hear um and i think there's lot so much to take away from this for people to hear and it's been a very valuable uh, episode so thank you for that valen um do you have any last words anything you would like to say to people listening well um If you guys have some spare time, head over to my Instagram, the uh, Varun Maya. That's a shameless plug. Uh, it's T H E V A R U N M A Y Y A. But apart from that, you know, love being on podcasts like this, Richard. You seem like a stand-up guy. We'd love to do more than just a podcast with you. Maybe business in the future. You know, happy to be on. Thank you, brother. And um, everyone listening, I would just like to say, go and buy or look into buying Varun's book. That's something I'm going to do right now. and um hopefully that gives you the uh let's say boost you you need in life to make that um to make that change so thank you valen and we'll catch up soon brother bye 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 man <laughs>